The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. to Mark chapter 1, the book of Mark chapter 1. Uh, if you're visiting with us or you forgot your Bible, uh, that is in the New Testament book of Mark. I don't have the page number for that offhand. Uh, what is it, Nick? 836. 836. Thank you, sir. 836. If you're visiting, uh, you're welcome to use that blue Bible as a reference point for you. Uh, you know, uh, this past week, uh, my wife and I had a shock to our system as our son, who was being professionally taken care of, came home, and uh, babies cry, don't they? And they, they need to eat and all those things. So if I'm a little starry-eyed up here, uh, my wife is uh, five times that. She's holding down the Ford at home with Scarlett today. So thank you for your prayers for us. We much appreciate it. Uh, baby's doing well. Uh, those of you who know the story, uh, he had a newly created uh, exit point for his uh, stuff uh, coming out. Uh, that is the church version, and uh, it is all working well. Trust me, we go through about five diapers of changing, so... Uh, but uh, God is good, and thank you for your prayers. We really do appreciate it. it is, it's been uh, quite a blessing. I was telling our Sunday school class uh, that our other kids have not woken up one time with all the screaming through the night. That is probably the biggest prayer of all, because when one wakes up, they all wake up. Uh, but so far, the other two have slept well, so thank you very much for your prayers. Uh, as another announcement, just uh, Nelson, if I could just have you do a wave, do the princess wave, whatever you will. Uh, <laughs> Brother, it's good to have you back. It is great to have you back. And um, if you are new to our church or if you are not familiar with who Nelson is, Nelson, I came here in May 2015-ish, April 2015, uh, probably about a month, brother, after I came, you left for your first tour, and you came back for all of maybe two or three weeks last year and went back. And so uh, Nelson is fresh back as of Friday night. Uh, enjoying some time. I uh, got to see a movie. Uh, so, brother, the simple things of life are pleasures, I'm sure. So, it's good to have you. And uh, if you see Nelson in his fatigues today, please shake his hand, thank him, and pray for him. I know I'll appreciate it. We'll hear from him later this spring or sometime this spring. Uh, he's going to sing a solo, do a dance, and preach a sermon, I think, is what we decided. So, do one of those three. Okay. Uh, uh, so yes, so thank you, brother. It's good to have you back. It really, really is. What a joy it is. As we start our new uh, 2017, friends, we've always had a yearly theme since I came. Our theme last year was back to the basics. Our theme this coming year is growing together. And I want to credit our, our office manager, not secretary, office manager, Judy Braden, for this, because I think it's so key to us right now. As our church grows, many of you, as you look through this directory, you'll say, who is that person? And who is that other person? Well, you get a nice chance to look at their cruel picture, and we get a chance to look at your pretty picture, too. So, But we're going to grow together this year, and we want to start by looking through the book of Mark. From now until Resurrection Sunday, which is mid-April, we'll be studying through the book of Mark through the first early chapters, and then fast forward later to the Resurrection chapters as we near Easter. So with that in mind, I just want to encourage you with that. But uh, youth, I want to tell you that this coming Wednesday, I believe Wednesday or Thursday, you guys go back to class. And I thought of you as I prepared this opening illustrations, because I'm sure many of you growing up had one of those people in the class that always upset the curve. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? You know that person in the class who always made A's and was always studying by him or herself, and they were that person. You know who this is. You might have been that person. And there's nothing wrong with that. Really, there's nothing wrong with studying 
all the time. But the problem is, is that when that person broke the curve, well, you remember what the curve is, don't you? The curve is the safeguard for people like me who didn't study much and got pretty not great grades so that when everyone else got bad grades, everyone else's grade went up because no one broke the curve except that one person. And a regular student like me would bank on everyone doing so badly on the test that the teacher would have to feel nothing but sympathy for us. And in doing so, everyone would benefit from in the class doing poorly. So it would be okay if I failed because I'd at least get a D with the curve, right? Come on, guys. Some of you all, some of you are too smart for your own good. But there was that one guy in high school, and I remember him very vividly. He was our valedictorian. You never wanted to take a class with that guy. Because if you did really bad, the teacher would say, nope, you get the grade that you got because Johnny over here got an A and he studies hard. Why can't you get an A and study hard too? You all ever experienced this before? Maybe you do at your jobs. I don't know. But why, why would you get mad at a person getting an A? Because his success revealed our failure. That's why. Well, friends, as I was preparing this week for this uh, opening illustration, I was thinking about how Jesus came. He came and he messed up the curve, didn't he, in a lot of ways. Jesus was the perfect kid. And I imagine what it would have been like to be Joseph and Mary. They didn't ever have to discipline him in some way, shape, or form, at least in that sense. And as long as Jesus did what he did, he was perfect. And friends, when Jesus came, he messed up the curve. Because before Christ, and even now, people in the youth culture everywhere will look at other people and say, well, I'm not that bad, until you compare yourself to Jesus, who messes up the curve. When Jesus showed up, he shows up with all A's and the rest of us look pretty bad, don't we? We really do. Friends, this reminds me of what the Bible says in Psalm 89 verse 27 about Jesus. It says, as also I will make him my firstborn, the higher than the kings of the earth. Jesus has an impressive resume. He has a virgin birth that yes, actually did happen. And being born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life. He was resurrected And he's the only God that can do such things. Jesus broke the curve for you and for me that we might know Christ. So friends, this question is, as we start off the study of Mark, is who is this Jesus? I mean, really, is he the one that has been promised to come or is he someone else? Is he the one that is to come and change all things as has been promised for years and years and years? Or is he someone that is to come someone else? Well, he is the God of all gods and he is the king of all kings. But our problem is not whether, our big idea today is our problem is not whether God is faithful to keeping his promises. Friends, he always is. The question is whether we are willing and able and faithful and trusting him to do those promises. Because friends, we break the, we try and live out our lives all the time. But the reality is God's perfection is here. And even as Christians, we fall woefully short, even living in the spirit because we sin. But thank God for grace. So what I want to do is preview this book of Mark today in a shorter sermon, given our time frames this morning. And I want to look at two aspects of how God does this breaking of the curve, because he does two amazing things. He first keeps his promises, and he secondly dispatches or sends forth his messengers, as we will see this morning. As we study the book of Mark and as we grow together, we need to remind ourselves as we kick off this year that this is our God you're here today say, Darren, I already know this. Well, great. Refresh your heart in that. Rejoice in that. And that's the great thing about biblical truth. It never gets old. And friends, you never outgrow it. You never outsmart it. Just like you can never outsmart the God of the universe, you will never outgrow your need for grace in these areas. Will you join me in standing as we pray this morning and read through God's word? We'll be in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 
through 8. And I'll open up, uh, we'll just open up with a little introduction after we pray and read, and then we'll get into the main body itself. Mark chapter 1, from the ESV, the same pew, uh, Bible as the pew, says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, and make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. We pray with me this morning as we start off. Father God, I thank you that you did break the curve. Father, you set the curve. You are the only one who can ever make a, a, a straight line curve or a curved line straight. Father, if you so please in your, in your power and sovereignty. Father, but as we fall woefully short of your standard of divine perfection, Father, we are grateful that this gospel of Mark was written to people such of us that while we were sinners, we need to be reminded of your grace day by day. Father, I am thankful that while we do fall short, that there is grace in Christ to cover a multitude of sins, and you've taken them as far as the east is from the west and remember them no more. Yet, Father, as we kick off a new year, as new resolutions are made, I pray our greatest resolution is, as Jonathan Edwards said, to live for you. And if no one else is living for you, to live for you anyway, because you are worthy of all of our praise and all of that we can offer to you. Yet it is by grace that we can even do those two things. Father, what a great thing we have, the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, as we do this work together this morning in the text, brief as it is, we pray that to the glory and honor of your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, as I mentioned, we will just do a little bit of introduction as we start off this morning because it is worthwhile for you to know where we are headed this morning. Someone asked, what other places will we be studying this year? That's a very good question. We will be in Mark uh, through Easter and then through May. Uh, the end of April, we'll do some Ask the Pastor questions. Those have been very popular questions you ask that we try and answer the best we can. And then in May, we'll be in the book of Ruth. And then in the summer, we'll be in 1 Corinthians. In the fall, we'll be in Proverbs, and then back to uh, John in the December time. So there's your preaching schedule. Uh, we've been working on this, talking about this for a few months, and you can look at that at our website, towerofukc.com. Now, many of you say, well, where do you begin with this? I mean, how do you study a book? What is this worthwhile to do? Well, friends, it is always good to know why a book was written, wasn't it? I mean, hopefully when you write that big tax check that you write to the county uh, collector each year about, you know, the property on your, your, your property, you, you know why you're writing it. If they're charging you for an army tank and you don't have an army tank, I hope you're not paying for the taxes for the army tank. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the same thing with studying a book of the Bible. You want to know why you're studying it. Why is it important? Well, God has given us four things in the Bible called Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And like a diamond that can be looked at from various ways, each gospel brings a different perspective to the, the front. Matthew is written to the Jews to remind them that he is the Messiah King. Mark is written to the Romans that we will study to tell them that Jesus is the suffering servant, and he is the one that is the greatest Lord of all, not Caesar. Luke is written to the Greeks to show that he is the perfect Son of Man and Son of God. And John is written to the world telling that Jesus is fully human and fully divine and he's the only way to heaven. 
But here's the interesting thing about Mark I think you'll find very interesting. We studied Matthew, the opening of Matthew, a few weeks ago. And in Matthew, we see a a very important thing, don't we? We saw the genealogy of Jesus. We saw the divine virgin birth. But in Mark, there is no miraculous birth narrative. There is no mention of Bethlehem or shepherds. There's no wise guys or wise men, however you want to take that. There's no childhood at Nazareth. There's no story of Jesus as a boy. There's no growth in wisdom. There's no pre-existence, as it mentions in John 1. There's no Sermon on the Mount. There's no lengthy discourses or a few parables. In, in layman's terms, the book of Mark is like an auctioneer's version of Jesus' life. You ever been to an auction? I tried out for auctioneer school one time. You all know I talk fast. I do that right now, right? But here's the thing. Auctioneer school has nothing on Mark because Mark goes from one story and he says immediately. He goes here and he goes there and he goes here and he goes there. It's like, it's like sprinting a marathon and not being tired at the end. That's how it is. Mark is going to run you ragged with how quickly he moves from one point to the next, 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 to the next. So who wrote this gospel? It was written by Mark. It was written by a man named John Mark. John Mark, as we know, was written by, uh, was a man who uh, was, uh, was a man with the Hebrew name of John, which means God's gift, and a Roman name, which means polite or shining. And though he's never mentioned in the gospel, if you were to go to Mark 14:51, he is the naked boy that runs off into that. We'll get to that later. What a way to remember yourself in your own gospel, huh? John Mark and his cousin Barnabas were accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey, but Mark turned back before the journey ended. Many of you remember that story. This irritated Paul, and Paul wanted nothing to do with John Mark, but later Paul and Mark reconciled. And from the very beginning, we know that this was written by John Mark himself. The Gospels never have an author's name. It never says, written by Matt Andrews, or written by Gilbert Mbiri, or written by John Higgins. It's written by anonymously, so you can see the full picture. But friends, what you need to know is this was written to a secular audience. This was written to an audience not far off from where Luke is living each day into the place of Poland. But what you need to know about this is this is an eyewitness account of who Jesus is. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? And these have been scrutinized by so much But some people say, well, isn't it like that telephone game? You know, you get the telephone. You remember the telephone game, preschool teachers? You know, you start off and you whisper in someone's ear, the Royals are going to win the World Series. And by the time it gets around the circle, the Chicago Cubs have won their second World Series in a row. And it just, it gets, it it does that very thing. Friends, that is not the case of the Gospels. The Gospels are clear. They are four sides of the same coin, looking at perspectives very uniquely written. They are condensed and summarized, and they are inspired by God, and each gospel has a unique perspective. Please know that. I always want to give you the History Channel perspective, so here's your your History Channel perspective. You don't have to watch the hour-long thing with guys with big hair and, and nice ties. The perspective is this. Most people believe this book was not written by anyone other than a false person hundreds of years later. But friends, we know the truth. It was written by Mark. And there's historical and archaeological evidence. There's the early church evidence. This is not made up. This is true stuff. So if it's true stuff, we have to take it very seriously. So let's look at two things briefly this morning as we do that. And what I want you to see first off is that God keeps his promises. Will you look back there at verse 1 with me? It says that the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I told you Mark doesn't mince any words. He jumps right to the foray, and he goes right with it. I'm going to try and fix. It's a new year, and this microphone wants to give me a new fit every, every couple weeks. So here we go. 
But he jumps right in and he says, he is the son of God. There's no doubt about it. Mark doesn't get in and say, hey, I'm Mark. This is Jesus. This is who he is. No, he jumps right in and says, this God, this man, this person, this one is God himself. And isn't it amazing that John chapter 5, verse 39 reminds us, Jesus said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, for they testify about me. God had promised to send a savior, a deliverer, a messiah. And Mark says the time has arrived and has appeared as well as the one whom God has prepared. So God kept his promises. This is the theme of the book. God keeps his promises. Notice there in verse 1, that it says, the beginning of the gospel. The beginning makes you think of Genesis 1 that we read. In the beginning was God. And John 1, 1, which says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. But there's something new and exciting has occurred. He's brought about the gospel. Friends, we are a church here at Tower View that wants to be gospel-centered. We want it to be about Jesus and everything we do for his glory. But what it means is that God's good news has arrived. If you're visiting with us for the first time today, or if you have never heard this before, like many of those people in Poland, friends, the greatest news that we have is that Christ has come. There is no waiting. There is no more advent. There, he has come. He is here. He has lived the life we couldn't live and died the death we couldn't die for his glory. And he calls him here in verse 1, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you remember from our study last month, we remember that Jesus means Yahweh is salvation, and Christ is the Hebrew word for Messiah, So Son of God is very crucial here. This is the one. This is not the illegitimate Son of God the Father and Mary. This is the Holy Spirit-born Son that God made within Mary's womb and created the fetus, and God celebrates life as we all do. This is the Son of God. And I'm just going to read through a list of titles given to this God who keeps his promises in the book of Mark. John is called the son of the, Jesus is called the son of the most high, the son of David, the Christ, the son of man, the holy God, the Lord of the Sabbath, the king of the Jews. And in particular, this word son of God is used several times. He's the beloved son by the father. He's the son of God called by the demons. He's the son of the most high called by the demons. He's again in Mark 9, beloved son by God the father. He's the one son whom was loved. And even at the very, very end, the Roman centurion said, truly, this one must be the Son of God. See, Darren, that's great, but how does that relate to me? Friends, the first faith lesson Amy's going to throw up on the screen for you is simply this, is that Jesus accomplished everything he has sent to accomplish so we could have everything we need in the battle between sin and righteousness. Friends, you have everything in the gospel, in the gospel of the Son, that you need to live out a holy life. Yes, we need other brothers and sisters, and and you need to pray and develop those relationships. Yes, you need to be in a local church. All those things are good. But the truth of the matter is, is that the Son of God, this one who came, came as one who had accomplished everything and didn't leave anything to not. I don't know about you, but one of the most frustrating things about when you get a to-do list especially a honey-do list. And my, my wife is, is good about very, very spelling things out. But I don't know about you. I'm that mindset. But when you check things off, like, yes, it is finally done. And then, oh, by the way, honey, can you take out the trash? Or honey, can you change the diaper? And we've been doing that a lot. We got three in diapers. You tell me what. That's a lot of diapers to be changing at our house. And okay to do those things. 
But don't you get frustrated when you get going with something and you know that you're done and then, oh, by the way, at work, can you do one other thing? It's frustrating, isn't it? Friends, aren't you grateful that Jesus didn't say, oh, I died this death for you. Oh, I came as the son of God. And oh, by the way, you have to spend your whole life working to be good enough to earn the salvation. Aren't you grateful this morning that the son of God gave everything for you completely, totally, that he would save you from your sin? Friends, that is our gospel. That is our God. And that's what unites us. That's what grows us together is to remember that fact. Friends, we must be reminded of that very fact that God kept his word to send the Messiah. Second thing you must realize is that God kept his word to send his forerunner. You look at verses 2 and 3 here, and you say, Darren, you're talking more about Jesus, but what about John? Well, look what it says about John. It says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Verses 2 and 3 are a fusing together, a melding together of the different prophecies from the Old Testament. It's very common in that day to do. And basically what John is, is being told about, John the Baptist here, is that he's a forerunner. He's the one coming. He's the one to be known that is here coming. It's actually, if you're taking notes, it's Exodus 23.20, Malachi 3.1, Isaiah 40, verse 3. So, okay, well, why would Mark open up this gospel this, this gospel about saying, here's Jesus, the Son of God, and all of a sudden transition over to this guy named John the Baptist? That's a great question. He does this because he's basically saying, it is now written. It has now been fulfilled. Everything that you longed for has come true. You know, I've often used this illustration. I think it's been a while, but I love Back to the Future 2 because if you remember Back to the Future 2, uh, I don't remember the... the what is the guy's name? Marty McFly, or Marty McFly, whatever his name is. He goes back in the time machine to 1957 with a book from the later years that has all the sports scores on it, an almanac of 50 years worth. And he wants to know what's going to happen and all these things, but wisely he does not bet on things to make a profit. Actually, Biff, is that his name, Biff? Those of you who know the story, he bets on the book and he makes this terrible empire. Well, friends, we don't need to go back to the future to realize what God has done. What Mark is saying here is, look, everything you have heard in the past, all these prophecies have been fulfilled, not only in the Son of God, but also in his messenger. What was the the plan is that God would send forth his messenger and he would prepare the way. It's almost like what's happening in the Northland everywhere you go. There's road construction happening everywhere you go. Uh, Pleasant Valley, you can't even turn right or left without a detour somewhere else or somewhere else it's going, but it will be good in the end, I promise. There was a detour of almost 700 years of uh, of things happening in the Bible, but God said once and for all, I've sent my son. I keep my promises. Trust in me. And he sent John the Baptist to do that very thing. Friend, my question for you today is this, and you'll see this up on the screen. God's plan for John the Baptist was to be a lonely prophet, preaching a hard message and dying young. He probably was just a little around my age, mid-30s. When God's plan is hard, can you trust him? If God's plan for you in in eternity past was for you to go through hardship after hardship after hardship in 2017, would you look back on December 31st of this year and say, Lord, I'm ready to be done with this. If you were on Facebook this week, many of you know that Carrie Fisher passed and some of the great movie stars that we've had in our generation, and you kept seeing the hashtag, I'm done with 2016, if you saw that on there. What if this was your year? 
What if you got here in a few months and you said, I'm done with 2017, or Darren, it's already flipped the page and I'm already done with 2017, or I didn't live up to my resolution. Would you be willing, no matter what God may, in his faithful, loving sovereignty, throw your way providentially, would you be okay to say, Lord, give me the hard way. Lord, I don't know what it is, but I know you've kept your word to all the prophets before, Lord. You'll keep your word to me. Friends, we felt that pressure, to be quite honest with you, in the last month or so with Natalie's, with the birth of our son, not, I mean, literally not knowing if we would have a son. He should have died. I, I've shared that with some of you privately. Uh, our son, Seth, who was born on December 14th without any exit point for his, um, uh, his, his solids going out, uh, literally should have died. But by the grace of a doctor and a nurse who saw it and corrected it, we were at Children's Mercy within a couple hours, and he was saved. Praise the Lord for that. It should be healthy and should be fine. But that is not how we expected our son to come into this world, to be honest with you. He came, he came quick. I was taking Simeon to school and went over to the hospital, and I got there 10 minutes late, and he had already come out, you know, and that's just how he was. And I missed the birth. It is what it is. But if someone would have told us, Darren, your son is going to be born in this way and spend almost three weeks in the NICU and all this stuff, and he's going to have problems later on, possibly, if he doesn't get this corrected, I would have said, no, thank you. Quite honestly. I mean, who would have wanted that? But I can tell you so much grace has come out of those conversations with nursing staff and the ability to share the gospel. My, my wife has been at that hospital or was at that hospital for so many hours, so many times, talking to nurses about the gospel of Christ, that if that's what it took for our son to go through, and for us to go through, for people to hear Christ, friends, that was worth it. I don't wish ill on my son by no means. But if that's what God had for us, if that was the plan that he had for us, he was a faithful God to see us through those times. And you may experience that. But as John knew, as Jesus knew, being God himself, he is faithful to keep his promises. You can trust him. Let's go to the second point. We'll close with this. Friends, God is not only faithful to keep his promises, He's also faithful to dispatch or, or send forth his messengers. Send forth his messengers. The sending of John the Baptist, and someone always asks, was John the first Southern Baptist? Well, not, not technically. Uh, you, if you notice what he ate, it wasn't, it wasn't potluck style. It was uh, uh, locust and honey. But you know that John the Baptist, or better said, John the Baptizer, was a fulfillment of the biblical prophecy, signaling in turn in the day of redemption. And friends, in Matthew 11, I won't read through these, but in Matthew 11, Jesus said, uh, the whole passage at least, but John was said of Jesus, uh, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, Jesus said. In John 30, verse 30, a very famous verse, uh, it is said that he must increase, Christ must increase, but I must decrease. And then in John 10, 41, Jesus said, many came to him and said, John performed no miracles, but all the things John spoke about this man were true, speaking of Jesus. So friends, like John, first off, we should be faithful. We should be very faithful. Look at verses 4 and 5. He says here, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out of him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. First in verse 4, John came. He suddenly appeared in the wilderness, almost like Elijah uh, he just suddenly appeared out of nowhere, and here he is. And he's introduced in the same way by Mark. Bam! Here's John. Take it or leave it. And he's preaching a baptism of repentance. And I want to pause on that for a second. You Bible scholars know that we are saved by what? By faith alone, in grace alone, by Christ alone. That's it, right? 
We don't believe baptism saves us. Uh, many of you had pink tap water, I guess, in the last day. Is that correct, Kansas City Mo residents? Someone said that you had pink tap water, some of you nodding your heads, almost like Ghostbusters 2, if you know that movie. But the message that John gave was a preaching a baptism of repentance. Let's be honest here. Was John adding something to the gospel that what he was a fulfillment of or forerunner of? Not at all. The baptism was not salvific. It didn't save anyone. The baptism was simply a unique activity called the Jewish persons to be baptized. They were basically symbolically representing what was coming in front. And what's crazy about it is baptism was kind of a foreign concept to the Jews. Actually, baptism was something given for a Gentile to become a Jew. It's called proselyte baptism. So John is preaching a baptism of repentance. What does it mean to repent? Husbands, we do this a lot. Amen? Wives, you probably do it too, but you do it in a graceful way. Husbands, we do this a lot. We repent a lot. And husbands, on a more serious note, we should be the chief repenter of our house. We should be the first to ask forgiveness, the first to seek forgiveness, and the first to grant forgiveness. But John was preaching a baptism of repentance. Repentance, as you recall, is if sin is that way, and I'm walking towards sin, sin is just simply 180-ing around back to Christ. It's turning away. It's a 180, a U-turn away from sin. It's a radical change. That's why when we baptize someone, we are looking for spiritual fruit. And Abby showed forth that spiritual fruit through conversations with Matt and myself. We don't just baptize someone. We want to make sure that there is fruit in their life as best as we can tell by the God's grace. And this is what he came to do. But notice what it says in verse 5. It says, And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him. This is not an overplay on words. In fact, Rich and poor, rural and urban, socialite or non-socialite, we're coming to see who is this weird guy that wears all these things, eats honey and locusts. But they responded by repentance. They turned from their sins. They confessed and acknowledged their sin. They were being baptized as a sign of humility, of a change of an inward heart of the coming Savior. Friends, John had nothing attractive about him. He might have been muscular. I don't know. It might have been a spectacle to watch him eat a honey with locust, or locust with honey, you know, crunch, crunch, crunch. That would be a little odd and a little weird. Might be a good sideshow at a carnival. He had nothing about him to be attractive, and that's why I want you to remember, and Amy's going to put this up, but Jesus calls us to be faithful, not successful. Christian, let that sink in for you in 2017. Jesus calls you to be faithful, not successful. The summary of John's message was this. Tell me if this is going to make Rick Warren happy or any of the sinker sensitive child. The time to get right with God is now. <laughs> Turn from your sin or burn is literally what he said. The winnowing fork, he says in other passages, that friends, that's not going to win people and influence win friends and influence people. That's not. That's going to make people think you're nuts. You're out in the wilderness in, 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 in just this almost bare nakedness out preaching in the desert, baptizing people. That's a little hot. Let's be honest with that. But it was popular with some and unpopular with others, but John was faithful to God. He lived his life with this one dictum. All that matters to God is that I'm faithful to him. Christians today, as you kick off your resolutions, and I think that's not a bad thing to make resolutions. Do it, stick with it. But it's your one resolution above all resolutions that you want to be faithful to God. Is that what you want? Is that your heart's desire? He truly lived this out. It says that people came to him and were being baptized in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. 
look, your faithfulness may look a lot different. My wife's faithfulness right now is staying up later than I can and many more hours than I can. And bless her heart for it. Changing many more diapers than I can change. You know, doing those things. That's her faithfulness at home right now. She would love to come and do a lot more church things, but she can't. That's where God has her in her place. Maybe your health this year is not what you'd like it to be, but God in his faithfulness is using your lack of health to share the message with others. Maybe God has given you great health. Maybe you are going to break the world record for bench press this year, and that's what God's called you to. I don't know. But you be faithful with what God has called you to be faithful in. I'll end with this. Not only was John faithful, and we need to follow that, but friends, like John, we also need to be humble. Look back at verses 6 through 8. He says, Now John was clothed with camel's hair. Has anyone ever worn camel's hair before? Is it, is it tough? I don't even know. what it, it's, it's coarse. Yeah, that's a better way to say it. Coarse, tough. Yeah, imagine wearing that. Uh, that that'll put your uh, fruit of loom out of business, I'm sure. <laughs> John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me, he who is mightier than I comes he who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandals am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Our tendency is to make John like that of a modern man. But friends, that will not work here. He was not the kind of man to be in a presidential cabinet. He wasn't under consideration for this last election cycle. But rather, he was an itinerant, wandering preacher who lived out in the wilderness preaching God's word. He chose a forerunner, God did, who was entirely different from the type we have picked. And isn't that God just to do that? Doesn't God take the weak to shame the strong? Doesn't God take the, uh, the uh, not-so-smart and make the smart and the wise confounded by his wisdom? But Mark helps us take a straight, honest look at this man. He doesn't appear to be today by today's standards. He didn't have a Hawaiian T-shirt. He didn't have a super slick tie. He didn't have slicked-back hair. He didn't have a button-up T-shirt. He had camel hair, a leather belt, locust, and what? Honey. Now, you want to go and try that for your lunch. You're getting hungry by now, I know. But that's what he had, and he had the faithful message of God. He had no credentials. He had not studied at a formal school. He had not sat at the feet of the rabbis or Pharisees. He wore funny clothes, and he ate weird food, and in the early life, he moved into the desert. It sounds like the making of a, a, a reality show on TLC or something like that. It really does. He was humble in appearance. He wore camel hair. He was humble at home. He lived in the desert. He was humble in diet. He ate locusts, which, by the way, Old Testament scholars, that is a clean animal, according to Leviticus 11, and he ate honey. At least he ate something in high protein and in high minerals, right? That's a good thing. He was humble in his message. He was saying, there's one who's greater than I coming. His baptism was an outward symbol. His baptism, it was a real thing, but it was an outward symbol, not pointing to him, but pointing to Christ who was to come. Friends, I don't know what God has for you. I don't, but I do know this. And Amy, if you want to go ahead and throw up the next thing on the screen. But I do know this, is that God is faithful to you. God is faithful to you. And your choice in 2017, friends, as we grow together, some of you may be called to be humbled unity-wise in this church in ways you've never been humbled before. You may be asked to do different things. You may be asked to step away from some things. We're not cleaning house, but God may lead you in a different direction. You may be asked to pray in ways you've never prayed before in your personal life this year. You may be humbled in ways that God has never humbled you before, but the question is, are you going to say to the Lord like John, Lord, whatever you have, bring it my way. 
I'm ready, I'm willing. Or will you say, Lord, I, don't take that part. I, I really, really like that part. John said, I know who I am in God's plan. I know who he is, and he's coming. Friends, don't ever get confused on that. This world is not about you. This world is about Jesus Christ working through the power of the Holy Spirit through you to his glory. That's what it's about. What does 2017 have for you, friend? I don't know. But I do know that you have a God who is faithful to keep his promises and send forth his messengers. Close with this illustration. Have you all seen this fish up here before? Have you all seen this? You know what this is? It's the ichthus. Yeah, it's the ichthus. Uh, Jesus Christ, God, our Savior. It became an early Christian symbol to mark the tombs of believers who had died or designated a secret place where they would meet. They'd draw that in the sand. If you drew that fish, that indicated that you knew who the Son of God was. And it captured beautifully, evangelistically, the intent of Jesus' ministry. It summarizes well the gospel of the first part of Mark, that he is the Son of God. And basically, they would say to one another, I don't speak of the cross, but of the fish, because by speaking of the cross, they would get in trouble. By speaking of the fish, they could speak about the cross. Friends, has your life been marked by a way that others know that you are a Christian? If people were to look at you in 2017... Is your prayer that they would see a difference in your life, that you are faithful, that you are humble, that you trust the God who keeps all promises. That is the God that we serve here today. Church, we're going to send out a summary email of what God has done, hopefully this week. Lord willing, we'll send it out this week about what God has done this past year. Our church has changed mightily, not necessarily in, 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 in people, but in the way people have changed. Many of you have grown more this past year, you said in your own words, than you've grown in any year past. Praise the Lord. Many of you have seen more people come that you don't know here in a long time. Praise the Lord for that. If you're visiting, welcome. Thank God for that. Many of you have seen tithing go up so much that God is blessed. And thank God for that. Thank God for your faithful giving. I don't know what God has for us in this next year, but I pray we trust his promises. I pray that we are faithful, and I pray that we are humble. And when we do that, friends, God will bless our church. Will you pray with me as we start this morning?